Hello there and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. Uh, I was just joking with my sister Emma and um, you guys don't get to know the joke because it's a visual joke and so there, haha, ha, watch Wayne's World. Anyway, I am your insider, uh, one of your former unwilling cultists, Jared Garrett. I am here to tell you some stories and so is Emma, my delightful, wonderful, one and only sister. Uh, Emma, take it away and say hello and stuff. Hi, I'm Emma with all the adjectives. Glad to be here. Emma with all the adjectives. I like it. I like it. <laughs> you, you deserve even more adjectives. All of with the your adjectives. Sister. You truly Thank do. You. Yeah, Thanks. you truly do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So um, a quick recap, although I feel like this is not necessary, but you know what? If you're tired of my recaps, just skip the next, I don't know, 30 seconds. First off, this is episode 42 with the longest title ever, Kids and Siblings and Parents Healing Together and TikTok. We were both born in this cult thing. It started out in the 60s as a sort of offshoot of Scientology, sort of, and it was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. For a minute, it was one of the more infamous cults in the UK and USA. Uh, around the time I was born, really literally around the time I was born in like May or April or June or something of 74. The cult split into two, uh, one dedicated to the process, so to speak, and uh, they followed the dude, Robert, and another group who made a new culty commune called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium, uh, which followed the lady who I didn't even know really existed until I was 15. And even then I thought, ah, is she real though? Um, anyway, that evolved over the years and finally morphed into, you should all know this by now, say it with me, Best Friends Animal Society. So I've been telling you these stories for a few years, and now my sister's here to help add some perspective and ultimately make sure parts of the story I wasn't telling very well are told better. And what I really mean by that is maybe it's time to throw a punch or two. Um, <clears throat> wouldn't you say, Emma? I mean, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But, Same. Um, but uh, you know, like, I can definitely be, like, be sassy. So, well, I mean, I'm okay with throwing sass. I, I like I like sass. Sass is pretty good. Um I think it's useful in many ways, and I like that I, I have children with sass, except for that they're not allowed to have sass um, at me. Just God, can you teach my kid that? Because can I? I bought, I bought early failed with my own kids, so sure, right. I can teach yours. <laughs> I'm feeling with mine too, so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I really... we. I don't bear malice. I, mean, I really, I'm not trying to tear anything down and I'm not trying to do an expose. And, and I, don't, I don't think Emma's trying to do that either. <clears throat> that said, first off, there is value in freaking telling the story <clears throat> for our own mental health. Um, and because there's been so much active effort to not have this story told. And it's so befuddling because everybody screws things up. And, and acting like there was never any screw-ups of any kind of thing. And then also erasing our actual existence uh, from the annals of the, the best friend's history is, frankly, offensive and it pisses me off. So, and it's not that I have skin in the game. I, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I don't, I'm going to stop trying to justify why we might get a little salty. We're just going to get a little <laughs> salty if possible here, if needed. I hope that's okay with you, Emma. Is that all right? That's fine. You know, I was thinking, like, when you were saying that they erased us from, like, you know, the history, and it just reminded me that, like, I, little baby, like, five-year-old Emma used to be on Best Friends pamphlets. You did? 
Yeah. You're adorable. And I, I wish that somebody like still had one of them so that oh. I could like see it again. That so that would be awesome. And I actually um, <clears throat> that was on my mind when I uh, wrote the second book in my semi quite autobiographical fiction series. Um, so in Finding Home, the second book, um, I have a part where they're they're starting up their magazine and the front cover photo is one of the little girls who's about five or six. Um, and it's a really cute shot, as I describe in the book, but there's no way there was consent from any parents or that child to be used in publicity, um, stuff like that. So I actually was thinking of you being on that pamphlet. I thought it was on the cover of the, of the Best Friends magazine, though. Is, I was wrong? I, you know, I was five. So okay. <laughs> I thought it was, I, I remember being shown a pamphlet. Okay that I, that I was on. And I remember like my haircut, which was kind of like a half a bowl yeah. haircut, like with the bangs. And then I was next to our dog, Clancy. Oh, I remember Clancy. And, oh, I love Clancy. And, um, and I think I was like making some sort of like cute little five-year-old face with like a hand over my mouth, like, yeah. a, <gasps> or something like that. But, um, I don't know if I thought it was a pamphlet, but who knows? <laughs> Fair enough. It, it, I don't know. You're, you're, I mean, if, if you saw it, you, your memory's uh, probably more reliable than me Me on this case. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're going to jump into this, but I, I have uh, one tangent to go off on here in a second. But so for me, if you need to contact me or want to comment uh, or, or email me or want me to do some uplifting speaking engagements or whatever, jared at jaredgarrett.com like usual. I have done speaking engagements on emotional toughness, something I call essential self-stewardship. Um, and you can email me there to do, set something like that up. I do have a fee. Also, um, <laughs> it's not that much. And if, if you want to argue um, or complain, definitely email me there, and I'm sure I'll read it and laugh. It'll be it'll be great. Emma, how how can people like continue following you or hearing you? Um, I have a TikTok. Um, we're in my older stuff. I talk about, you know, cult life and stuff. And then I mean, I'll answer questions that anybody has. Um, and, the my username is spicy Emma Panada, like empanada, but with my name in it. And Real clever. That's actually, thanks. I like it a lot. Thank you. Um, and then I actually just started, uh, an Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me for, um, my TikTok as well, where people can like get a hold of me. They can message me if they want nice. to. So if you want to cool. chat with me, then there you go. <laughs> That's good. And you do fun, fun things on TikTok, like lots of really cool videos and duets and stuff like that over there, don't you? Yeah, I do mostly like acting. Well, I don't know if I would call it acting, but yeah, like the lip syncing, silly, silly stuff over there now because, uh, yeah, I didn't really know what else to talk about with, with the cult times sure. and stuff, but I'm always, I'm an open book about it. So if anybody yeah. wants to ask me questions, then yeah. Fantastic. Um, and I actually, when Emma told me that she was talking about cult stuff on TikTok, I was like, wait, really? It's like, and I'm getting a lot of people who are really tuning in. It's kind of crazy. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So I went and watched her videos and I thought she was great because she's great. Um, and then, um, 
And then I tried it myself <laughs> and did, you know, the hashtags or whatever and utterly fell flat. Like, I think my most watched video was a duet with some knucklehead and it might be got two or three thousand views. So I gave up on TikTok uh, a few months ago and um, don't miss it. Um, I, I mean, it's a, it's a real, you know, you never know what's going to. Yeah. What it's what it's gonna do. So. Well, and I thought I felt like I needed to practice what I preach. I mean, I keep telling the kids stay away from that place, because of all these idiot hashtag challenges, like you know, vandalize your school or assault a teacher. And then there was one a month or two ago, uh, shoot up your school. What the frack is that? We know better yeah. than this, don't we? That's that's total BS. So anyway, okay, back in here we go. Um, I have <clears throat> a question for you. And then we'll get into some real things, but I want to go on a bit of a tangent. So in the last time that you and I did, did a recording, just the episode before this, um, I, I was corrected in what I had thought about how long you were in the call, because I had thought you were out at about age three, but it turns out you were out at around age five, wasn't it? Uh, six. Six. Okay. And so that's, that's a pretty formative chunk of your life. Um, so, but, but it's not like the, all the, all the formative times in your life, obviously every year can be a formative part of your life, but it is absolutely fair for you to say, I, I grew up in a cult, right? Um, so tell me what that means to you or tell our audience, what does it mean to you that when you say I grew up in a cult and then what other thoughts come after that? Like, uh, and I want to tell you what I mean by that. So I say I was born and raised in a cult. But then I have this mental caveat where I say, but I've also grown right the hell up a lot more since then. Um, I've had to raise myself. I've had to deprogram all this crap that I had. So yeah, I was born and raised in a cult, but truly raised, if I want to say I'm truly raised, I was raised by me and my wife and God. So maybe I wasn't raised in a cult. Do you ever like say I grew up in a cult and then have these like, mental caveats where you're like, well, let, let me specify, but you don't because obviously that'd be too much. <laughs> I um I don't say I grew up in a cult. I say oh. I was born into a cult. Oh, okay. Um and then and then I'm kind of like I give like the cliffs notes, you know, so I'm I say like I was born into a cult. I was, you know, taken from my parents when I was two and then they came and got me when I was five and then we got kicked out when I was six. So it was just like my early childhood so I make sure that like you know I'm clarifying that like I didn't spend my whole life or childhood in there right so I usually just say I was born into a cult but um makes sense I think it's it's definitely not the first thing that I tell people about myself that's um, good <laughs> as, I mean aside from TikTok but like usually when I meet people in real life it it takes me a while to um talk about that because it's such a like huge thing yeah um but when i do say it it's basically like uh as a self-explanatory thing so like when i say i was born into a cult i'm basically saying like i've got childhood trauma and that's why i ah. am the way that i am <laughs> i'm sorry i was born into a cult <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, well, you want, you want to know why I'm, like, a little weird and why I have these, like, strange walls up? Like, well, I was born into a cult, and then everyone's like, the the question usually is, what kind of a cult? Mm. And 
because you know they want to know if there's like animal sacrifices sure. or you know whatever and we and live like, in utah well, right i mean we live in utah <laughs> yeah and so i usually say like oh well it wasn't like it wasn't animal sacrifices but it was like a branch off of scientology so they didn't believe in like families or anything so but yeah i usually just sort of use it as like a catch-all to say to basically say like trauma gotcha (laughs) it's like yeah that's how you frame the trauma uh, and for conversation it's really it's a conversation stopper for a minute isn't it like it's it's either a stopper or a starter because like i think that some people just get freaked out by it and yes. are like oh okay cool what's your favorite color and then <laughs> and then other people are like what the f like yes what tell me everything about it like how old were you when you got out and what did they do to you and da 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 and i'm like wow okay we are just unpacking it all all right i guess we're doing this yeah let's do it yeah <laughs> Yeah, so. so that leads me to another question that isn't really the topic that we're, I really want to focus on, but I don't care. We can tangentialize, and maybe the next thing we talk about, we'll go to another episode. <clears throat> do, do you find... I just want to compare notes here. In these events where, you know, it comes up, do, do you find that you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> it's it's heading that way. The conversation is going that way. This 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 is probably about to come up. How badly do I want to dominate the conversation for the next, you know, 15 to 30 minutes? Um, do, do you have that kind of calculation, mental calculation going on in this kind of moment? Uh, yeah. So, it, it and yeah, I mean, it really is, like, dependent on, like, if it's just me and a friend and, you know, we're out for drinks and I'm like, yeah, whatever, like, let's let's do it let's have a talk show moment and i'll tell you all the things but like if it if it comes up and it's kind of like a bigger group of people um then i just again like just do the cliffs notes and i'll generally say like to my friend that i'm actually telling it to like yeah like i'll have to tell you stories later Uh. or something because i know that it's just like this deep rabbit hole <laughs> yes <So>. yeah <clears throat> yeah i mean it's a rabbit hole it's a can of worms it's the whole thing um <clears throat> i on my uh, social media i used to say for uh cult escapee or former unwilling cultist but mm-hmm. because i'm in utah um i, I realized wait a second uh-oh i i need to be clearer because some people do refer to the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints as a cult which, I mean, there are subcultures in it that do behave cult-like, and that's not cool. Um, so I want to be clearer about what... So, so I've, I've actually um, done a caveat where I, like, former sort of end-times cult escapee person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, um, so a fun thing about uh, the cult thing, by the way, if, for all those listeners. The last episode, or the most recent episode that was published, was published at the beginning of May. For you all uh, to know, we're talking about the kind of, I mean, when, when you have a conversation starter or stopper like this, I was raised in a cult, it can take you places. In fact, it took me a place um, between the last time an, an episode was published and now I have auditioned for, been cast on, and filmed, and won uh, an episode of the National Game Show, The Hustler. 
And the reason they called me back for any kind of audition was because one of my first items of interest was I was raised in a cult and got out when I was 17. So this thing can take us places, be it, you know, a cult leader on TikTok for you, my dear, <clears throat> or me being a professional manipulator on live TV. So, and I've talked about focus class and the way faith school treated us and had, and kind of trained us to lie. I 100% used those, th some of those techniques that I learned in the cult to manipulate the living crap out of a couple of people on, on, on national TV. It was fun. Anyway, just a fun little caveat. All right. So, um, I mean, <laughs> it was um, pretty fun too. I, like I didn't go to faith school, but I right. did, you know, develop my own kind of like techniques through like trying to make it through the whole experience unscathed, especially like not living with my mom and dad, yeah. um, which was very much like, uh, if you if you had to make yourself like invisible, or you had to make yourself very likable, yes, um, so that you wouldn't have like a target on your back. And I already did because I was the youngest, um, in Denver, and then also I was supposed to be a reincarnation of whomever. Yeah, um, Raphael's previous spouse, I think. Yeah, yeah, um. And so I felt like there are always extra eyes on me anyway, yeah. but that's where I learned how to, I guess it's called masking, um, yeah. which basically like I didn't have a personality of my own for like quite a while. I just kind of like mimicked what everyone else did or, and I still use it a lot to this day um, to like make friends and you know, like when people say like, oh, you have such a fun personality in my head. I'm like, thanks. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's masking and mirroring there. That's, that's, <laughs> thanks. It's yours. I love it. <laughs> well, and you oh, said, you like me? Cool. I'm glad you like yourself. Good, good. <laughs> or at least you like people who are like you. Um, yeah. You said something really well there. You said you have to, you, you had to kind of either get invisible or get super likable. Uh, I, I found that to be the case. And in my case, I tried to be as super, as invisible as possible. Um, but of course, the, the the bad effect of that is that you end up having walls and uh, becoming distant and not. And when you're that young and you're building that kind of thing, it, it ultimately has this long term effect of not really knowing how to bring them down, not really knowing how to get vulnerable in a healthy way, in a healthy place with people who will treat you the way you deserve to be treated, um, I found at least. And so I, 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 that resonated with me a lot. I, I definitely found the whole, you know what? I'm going to get invisible and I'm not going to be seen by these people. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's very, very interesting and very well said. Um, so <clears throat> let's talk about the actual topic that I was hoping for us to talk about, but we can go and tangentialize all we want. That's part of the brand of this particular podcast is, you know what? Sometimes it's what the frick. We'll just talk about something else. <laughs> the topic, for starters, and, and we are going to talk about the truth about this one dude and his person, but what what our parents missed. I mean, you're a mom. You have you have a little boy. He's super adorable and apparently very sassy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Little scamp or whatever you want to call him. And I, I have seven kids. Um, and one of them is adopted. We, we brought her into the, the, our family when, when she was 13. Um, 
And I mean, I look at my relationship with my kids and I've commented on it a lot and I've spoken on it in this podcast and I've written about it um, in both novelizations as well as my own memoir, which I'm just about done rewriting. But I want to get your perspective and, and your words on what our parents missed um, from us uh, <clears throat> and from just, you know, I'm just going to say that what our parents missed by being in this cult and letting the cult do what they wanted with us. What are your thoughts? Um, it, you know, I had like come to terms with it and, you know, I didn't like, I, I didn't harbor any like anger towards either of my parents because, you know, I understood like they were 100% brainwashed. Yeah. And so like, I don't think I was ever like angry or anything because, I understood like you were just doing what you thought was the best thing and what you were told was the best thing. Um, but then not, but, but, um, like when I had my own kid and especially from the time that he turned two, which is when I was, you know, um, sent to live at the other place, like they only got to see me once in a while, like I was allowed to go home and visit, but when he turned two and hearing his little voice and how much I loved it. And I just thought of like my mom specifically and how deeply it would just ruin me to watch my two-year-old child be put into a truck with someone else to be driven away from me. Like it, it would send me into just these like panic attacks because I felt so bad for my mom and it, it just, and it hurt me. And then it also like reminded me of how I felt when I got there too. And I remember calling my mom on the phone and saying, I want to come home. And her, and her just saying, I know, and me being like, well, so. Let's go. <laughs> but why? <laughs> yeah. And just, mm. and then seeing it, you know, kind of like in the eyes of my son, who absolutely like thinks that I am the embodiment of like sunshine, you know, right. like just, just I am his entire world. And knowing how he would feel if he was taken away from me, it just, it really deeply hurt me for a really long time. And, um, and I dealt with some like major anxiety and depression for probably the whole, the whole year that he was two. And I still Mm. deal with it now because I mean, he's turning four next month and it's still like, I still would have been. I still would have not been living with them. And so, um, you know, so I, I really like hurt thinking about how mom, my mom must've felt and, you know, dad too. Mm -hmm. And like how, and then remembering how I felt, but then also thinking about it from like an adult and from like a child psych perspective of, you know, and just like watching my child who was very much like me, um, and seeing how he he would experience it just really has 
like (laughs) done a number, I guess, but, um, you know, and then there's just times where he's so funny or he's so sweet. I mean, he like loves so fiercely. He gives a million hugs, million hugs a day. That's huge. Isn't it huge? Hugs, 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 hugs. Like a million hugs, million kisses tells me I'm beautiful every single day without fail tells me I'm beautiful. Um, in some way or another, he'll say I'm his favorite color. He'll flat out call me beautiful, like just stuff Mm. like that. And I know that I was like that too when I was little, but I didn't have anybody to give that to. Um, and so I just think about that and I'm like, God, I feel so sad for, you know, mom and dad that they had to, that they missed that because yeah. I know that, you know, when I got home, like, cause you know, I'll talk to my mom about it and stuff and she, and you know, we FaceTime with her and <clears throat> she'll say, Oh, you were like that too. You were like that when you were little. So I know that, you know, they got to experience it, but not all the time. Right. And okay. so it just makes me, it hurts me to think about how it must have felt for them and remembering mm. how it felt for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. And just, you know, all sorts of like milestones, you know, I mm. mean, but yeah. And I mean, I just see, I see his little personality and how just big it is. He's got a big personality and, and knowing that I did too, but a lot of it was stifled because, again, I had to make myself invisible and I had to make myself likable. And right. what my takeaway from living with them was, was like, your personality is not good. Being yourself is not acceptable and people are going to be mean to you if you show your true personality and so it took me I was very scared to talk to any sort of adult for a very long time Hmm. and um and I look at my kid and he's just the friendliest little dude he says hi to absolutely everyone in the grocery store mm, like that's awesome. not afraid to ask for what he wants like if we go out to dinner or something he is not afraid to like look our server in the eye and be like excuse me <laughs> i would like more lemonade and like i think about you know how i was when i was little i was freaking terrified absolutely terrified of just other people and um like had very poor self-esteem and still have very poor self-esteem but you know like it took me a really long time to um learn to learn who I was and learn what my personality was and learn to like myself and learn to be okay with being alone with myself because I used to hate being alone like I did not I didn't like who I was I didn't like being alone with myself and now I'm like I only want it that's right I'm like I just want to be with me I think I'm pretty okay that means there's hope for April then because she has that as well she she can't stand to be alone 
you can't stand it's it. It's hard. It's hard. And I mean, when I say it took a long time, like I'm saying until my late twenties, yeah. like I, when, and that's why, because you know, you know, I was married before, mm-hmm. um, but, I, and the whole reason that I got married to that guy was because I thought nobody's going, nobody's going to love me more than he does, you know? Right. So it was basically like, I, if I want to get married, it's got to be the, to this person because like, Do no, you, you are, yeah, you are not lovable. And so the fact that anyone loves you is just an absolute miracle. So you need to marry this person because they're the only person that's ever wanted to marry you. Hmm. And um, so, you know, but then when I started, like I started working in healthcare and that's where I really started like discovering more of my personality and discovering that my personality and my sense of humor fit in with other people that I was working with and I was like oh okay and and people thought I was funny and people thought I was nice and you know like I was good at my job and it it was all things that like I had really not heard a ton of or really believed Hmm. um up until then and I think once I started getting that kind of like confidence and and being comfortable with myself and realizing that like oh I think I think I'm actually like a pretty okay person and that's when I was able to reevaluate that relationship and be like mm, I don't deserve this this is very toxic and unhealthy and so right. now I'm getting out but yeah, it, I mean I was 29 so yeah. it took me 29 years it's a long time <laughs> so yeah yeah and it's it's very much a I mean, I'm pretty sure the diagnosis that for both of us here is that is a reactive attachment disorder, um, where our, we don't we don't know how to have a good relationship with other people because we don't even have a good relationship with ourselves, for all the reasons that come from early childhood development in such an unsafe and unstable place. When, for me, I, I found that, I mean, back in the day I couldn't articulate this. Today I can articulate this better. That, I. I thought I needed to earn any kind of positive interaction to come my way. I had to please somebody or get attention in a pleasing way or in some other way so that I could have anybody show any concern for me or notice me. I mean, that's yeah. that's not good. That's super yeah. unhealthy. And that I still have to fight that lie in my own brain. I'm, I'm, I'm a 47-year-old grown man, dad of seven a husband of almost 24 years and a bishop. And I still have to fight that dumb lie in my head. And that doesn't mean I'm broken. It just means that luckily I'm aware of it when that lie shows up. And sometimes I even notice it enough to fight it. But it's still there in the head. And it's so supremely unhealthy um, to think we have to earn notice or earn somebody's love. This is a good place to take a quick uh, break for um, station identification. Uh, stay tuned and come right back for more of this wonderful analysis. One of the things that really stood out to me recently was, you know, when one of my kids walks in the room or if I walk in the room and my kids are there, there is delight expressed at their presence, yes. at them being there. There's a smile. There's a, hey, how was your day? You know, there, I pick up my kids. Hey, bud, how are you? Give a little squeeze. Buckle up. Let's go. Let's talk about your day. And I know that you know, you, you had, the, you had 
interactions of your own, you know, till age, age five, six. And, and I had my interactions till I was about age 17. Literally never did anybody ask me about my day or about my mood. And not once did anybody express pleasure at my sudden presence in a room or you oh, know, yeah. at, at, at coming upon me in, in a room. And that, that's super damaging, right? Yeah, that messes you up. Yeah, and I mean, no, it was the same for me. Yeah, like, I'm sure. Yeah, like it was, it was active displeasure yes. all the time. Oh, with Cyrus and there. Anne were toxic like that. Toxic. Oh, yeah. They were so manipulative, active. especially Anne with her manipulations. Just, yeah, ugh. active displeasure that I was there, and and you know, like you, to this day, I still have to fight very hard every single day to not convince myself that everybody hates me and right. they're just pretending to like me. Right. And like, or you have to earn I status got, in your friend group or something by doing or saying yeah. something special. Yeah, and I and it, and I found myself thinking like people are only nice to you because they feel bad for you right? or something, you know? And, um, and I asked my husband every day, like, are you mad at me? Are you okay? <laughs> like, yes. I haven't done Ugh. anything. I mean, if I do anything that, you know, that he is not 100% like delighted about, I'm like, are you mad at me? And he, and most of the time his response is, why would I be mad at you? Right. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, just feel like hey man, you were raised by a healthy mom and stuff, and <laughs> <laughs> for your yeah. whole life. So whatever. Hey man, I was born in a cult. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know, like, and and if I don't say I was born in a cult, I do say I, I like to say that I had a spicy childhood. Ah, um, nice which, spicy. Um, spicy, <laughs> yeah, awesome. which like is also an indicator of like I have childhood trauma. And what I'm coming to find is that everyone has childhood trauma. And so it's actually sort of become like a bonding point for me and a lot of other people to sort of like share in that and find the commonalities and be like, oh, I hate myself. Like, oh, I do too. Like, what do you do for that? Well, I take baths and I read books and I, you know, meditate. Like, oh, sick. I think I might try that. Super so, healthy. I just eat chocolate cake. Um, <laughs> I mean, I also eat my feelings. So, well, you know. for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I believe that you're right in many ways that there's there, the, the presence of childhood trauma is astonishing. I mean, people, people, who you were like, why would you have childhood trauma? Um, and sometimes it's it's because of external parties, but sometimes it's because we inter- we're we all in our own head. We're all in our own brain and we interpret things and see things and feel things and hear things. And it builds these narratives in our head and that can be almost self-inflicted trauma. But too often, way too often is, of course, external party trauma being inflicted on folks. And that makes me sad. But then there's my kids, you know, most, most of my kids. You know, they, they've had a super idyllic childhood growing up, super sheltered enough, but not too sheltered, very affectionate, loving parents, very stable the whole time. You know, parents who've also done their best to learn to be better and better parents and listen better and support and nurture better. And I can't, it's hard for me to imagine a better way to grow up than with my kids, but then my kids still have anxiety because of biology and they Mm -hmm. still have self-esteem issues apparently because of biology. 
and maybe school and maybe us sometimes and overreacting and stuff. It's, it's not, people need to understand I am one of these people that it's not um, an insult to, at me or they're throwing aspersions at me if somebody says kids still have some trauma even though it's not necessarily you're doing. Um, it, it just happens. So, I mean, my kids can, can absolutely identify with the anxiety that I feel. Um, and they can, they don't have PTSD, which is a nice thing. And they don't have reactive attachment disorder, which is a nice thing. But some of them do, you know, struggle with trusting others, um, and being vulnerable with others. And I think it's a very fascinating thing, the whole human psychology thing, um, in that area. Cause we went through visible, obvious trauma. Yeah. There's no argument there. There's no question there, but then there are other people who go through more quiet invisible invisible trauma that that's a that's harder to unpack and i wonder if it's harder for them because they can't see why as easily as like you and i can yeah well and what i've you know from from studying child psych and stuff and then from seeing many therapists over the years um is like it's kind of like you are given you know a bowl or whatever when like when you're born and some people's bowls are bigger than other people's bowls so what's traumatic for someone might not be traumatic for you or vice versa because Mm -hmm. you know some people's bowls can't handle the amount of stuff that other people's bowls can so like we really we really can't like decide or judge people for right. you know what they say their trauma is because if they say it then that's what it is even if we don't think that it would be traumatic for us right. it doesn't that's negate well the fact that it was traumatic for them you know and like <clears throat> yeah and and <laughs> you talked about PTSD and I'm like oh it took me a really long time to realize that I had that too yeah you, like yeah well you do <laughs> sorry I do yeah and I and and by a really long time, I mean earlier this year when I started seeing a therapist again for my debilitating anxiety. And I talked about, you know, like I have trouble falling asleep. I only have nightmares when I dream. I, you know, da 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 da. And he just, and I kind of, you know, told the closeness about the cult thing. And he just, first of all, he was like, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was like, it's, I mean, it's okay, man. But, um, and then the next thing out of his mouth was, have you ever been diagnosed with PTSD? And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make that diagnosis for you right now. And I was like, <laughs> that's <"Sick."> pretty quick. Yep. <laughs> Add that to the resume. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so I, I had a thought here and it, 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 it's maybe a little bonkers, but, so I also have PTSD. Um, it's not what you described is very different from my PTSD. My PTSD manifests with um, I. I like really don't do well with anybody behind me almost all the time. Like, mm. so if somebody gets behind me somehow without me knowing it, I I don't feel good, and that that includes my wife. I mean, you know Anne Marie; she's one of the friendliest, warmest people you'll ever know. Um, oh yeah, sweet, kind, very affectionate. Um, not perfect, but I mean, she's pretty good. Um, and, uh, but if she somehow makes it into the office where I'm working and I don't see her coming in, I have a, I have a rear view mirror right ahead of, right in front of me. Um, I jump, 
I jump every time, even though I'm. It, it's, it doesn't look like a physical jump anymore. There's a mental, emotional, oh frick. Um, not because I'm worried about what she sees me doing, because I don't do crap on the computer anymore. Um, she, it, it, it's just a, it's a PTSD reaction to the frick. Oh, behind me. Um, somebody's looming near me when I'm out, when, when I'm down in the kitchen. I don't like it one little bit. Crowds uh, bug me most of the time. I, I can, I can tamp down on it pretty well. Um, but they bug me most of the time, and my anxiety is very much in connection with, with PTSD. Now, I've never had a, a formal diagnosis because I've had a therapist for a, for about two months. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Proud of you. I, well, thank you. I um, And I haven't been particularly regular. It's been kind of uh, when needed. I, I had some super stressful times over the last little while um, in connection with dadding a girl child who is... <clears throat> not reacting to her trauma the way I feel like she should, uh, yeah. which has been helpful. Well, it's been helpful to me because n not everybody handles it the way I did. But my weird thought is that now you, you went through the crap and then it was several years of the crap with these people who were duplicitous and unstable and unsafe. Uh, and they really weren't good, good to be around. And they weren't, they shouldn't have, they had no business um, being involved in childcare and child rearing and development. Um, and then, uh, dad and Susan, your mom went and got you and they left, they got out. Um, and then you had to work out your whole life and you were kind of what, in what looked like a regular family, but it, you had gone through some stuff and it, you know, you, I don't know how quickly or early on you were getting help with processing everything you went through. Um, but you needed it. But in my case, I stayed in it the whole time and had to deal with it myself. And I wonder if maybe my PTSD is actually lessened or, or, or just not as bad because I had to figure it out on my own. Um, and I did. And it's, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I had to find my way through that crap, whereas you didn't even get the opportunity to find your way through that crap. You were then planted into what looked like a, fa a normal family life and dad's out working all the time and your mom is, you know, taking care of you in the home and also doing work and stuff. Is that a weird thought? Is that is that possible that's that I'm completely off base there? I think it's I mean, I think it's possible. Um because I don't do nightmares. Well, I do nightmares. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I no, you're when I have when I have a bad dream, it's horrifying. Um, but it's super rare. And when I I do have night terrors, but they're once every, I don't know, five or six months, and they're they're horrifying and paralyzing. But it's super, super, super rare. But the way you described your PTSD with nightmares, all and that 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 just sounds terrible. Um, stuff that I couldn't even imagine and would really have a problem with. Yeah, I mean, I I don't remember the last like good dream hmm. I've had. It's always even if they're not straight up nightmares, there's always a level of um, turmoil or. Hmm discomfort or you know anger or something and then wow. i do have like recurring nightmares same but um, they're rare really rare oh yeah i mean i haven't had one of the recurring ones for a while but yeah i mean hmm. my dream last night was like chunks of my hair were falling out and the you know like i wouldn't say that that was a nightmare but it was you know certainly not pleasant <laughs> yeah no but, doubt um, that sounds like a nightmare yeah. to me i mean that would freak yeah. me out yeah, I mean, I just woke up and was like, I still have my hair, right? But um, You have lovely hair. Folks, listeners, 
Emma has been blessed with gorgeous hair. The end. <laughs> I tried real hard, so thanks. Good job. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think also, like, you know, I'm, I've been told this, and I'm sure you've been told this, is that, like, people have said a lot after hearing about you know my experience like it's amazing that you are not out on the streets like shooting heroin or something yes oh but you're um, so normal <laughs> yeah <me. laughs> and i think like you don't know you man know, I, I and i i think that like you know because of genetics or whatever like everyone has their own way of dealing with their ptsd because i mean if you watch I mean, if you talk to any addict or whatever, it's always because of trauma. It's always yeah. because of PTSD and they're self-medicating. And I think everyone just self-medicates in a different way. Like you medicate through cake. I, medic <laughs> I medicate through cake and wine. Like, you know. Well, I should, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I, but I, what I'm actually doing, and I've, I've only not, not long ago have I, have I come to the, to the knowledge of what I'm actually doing when I'm medicating through cake, as it were. Um, I'm meditating or medicating with cake and uh, usually watching some show that, you know, pushes a certain set of buttons in the right way. You know, full disclosure, that that, that show is often something like Armageddon or um, I, I kid you not. That show is it, it's a medication for me. But what it is, is it's it's me needing to have some emotional salve by myself. So the medication yeah. is actually time to myself putting pleasant things into my body that require zero stress, except for the sweet, sweet catharsis of Steve Buscemi going nuts on, a, on an asteroid, Liv Tyler being amazing, and Ben Affleck being his typical irritating self. That That's one of them. That's one of a few. Like, Remember the Titans is another one of those medication things. But it's by myself, nobody getting a piece of me, me getting to do something that is just for pleasure is my medication there. And apparently cake and wine for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but it's all like, you know, as the kids would say, like, it's all like dopamine or serotonin right. or whatever, right, and right. that's how you get it. So, but yeah, but then, you know, other people turn to hard drugs, right. you know, and, and um, so I think, I just think, so I think it's, it it's very possible that that's how it happened and you know because mm -hmm. i was so little when i got taken out of it i didn't you know my brain was not i didn't have the brain power to be able to like process you know i was still working on like emotional regulation and stuff yeah. like my brain was still very natural exactly yeah 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 and um you know executive function and all of that so like but you know, your brain formed while yeah. you were experiencing all of that. So, you know, but I mean, again, like you look at your um, brother, Daniel, and his yeah. way of, of coping was a lot different than yours. It was, so, yeah, it sure was. So, you know, I just think like, I don't know. I, th I think it's very, I don't think you're off base, but I, ju I just think that it's really interesting, like, the way that it manifests for different people. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is fascinating. And I've, I've always had a fascination with the psychology and um, neuropsychology and stuff like that. It's it's just it, it endlessly, endlessly interesting. 
but I don't like the dry textbooks about it. Um, so I want you to know that I, uh, New York's hottest club is spicy childhood. Um, <laughs> spicy. <laughs> that's right. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we uh, th this club has it all. PTSD you can't see. PTSD you dream about. <laughs> uh, unstable Broken idiots who you. receptors and everyone's favorite game, trauma or. Hallmark movie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's awesome. But I mean, I, I, I want to I wanna highlight something normal that you and I got to do um, because it's, it's interesting how bright this shines for me. Um, and I was just fi finishing writing the prologue of um, my memoir plus the first rewriting the first chapter. And it's interesting how some things really just shine really brightly. And in two, these two cases, uh, one in the book, one I'm about to share, it, I think it's because they seem super duper normal um, and kind of like how childhood maybe should have been. But like there was a time when you and our dad and your mom lived in an A-frame chalet thing at Best Friends on the property of Angel Canyon. And there was a, a dog running out, out behind the house, you know, fenced, fully fenced in and the dogs did their thing out there. And I helped our dad sometimes do some work there, and I was often working with him during the summers that we were shipped out there. And some of those summers, I got to see a fair amount of you. Um, and you and I hung out a bit, sometimes more than a bit. And uh, I babysat. I don't know what our, our dad and your mom were doing. Maybe they were on a date. Maybe they're just like, get the frick out of here. Um, but I, I got to babysit my little sister, Emma. I mean, and nothing could be cooler and normal, more normal than that. And that was like, I know we watched The Little Mermaid one million times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what could be... Listeners, that's a super cool, normal thing, right? And it just, it, it'll, it, it, it's always vivid in my brain. I can remember just very clearly sitting on, I think it was the end of a bed, um watching that on a TV in that in that main floor room and you singing along and dancing along. And, and anyway, so it, it stands out to me as a bright, shining moment of awesome. But also, how old were you when during the time that I was babysitting you when we were watching um, Little Mermaid all the time? Um, gosh. I don't know. I, I, I must have been young like i mean i know it was young but maybe like four or five so were you <clears throat> were those like times in the summer where you had been brought back to best friends so that you could visit your parents because that was the period so. of time where you were it where you lived in denver right yeah so i, th I think so because that's that's the only way that it would work out okay. that it works out in my mind because i may have been a bit younger like three but I think it was around like the age of four, but yeah, I must have hmm. been like back visiting. But okay. okay, I do, I do remember it, and I remember that um, they had because because you know um, kids um, music videos used to be music videos, and they used <laughs> to come on VHS tapes, and you could watch people's music videos on VHS tapes and so mom and dad had um a Phil Collins one yeah and so um I would request to watch the Phil Collins uh, specifically studio that was my favorite 
favorite Phil Great Collins horn song. section in that song, yep. But I do, like, I do remember, like, requesting to watch that. And, and I think that I remembered it as, like, the guy who stands in front of the gates with the music notes on it. Because I think he was, like, in front of Elvis's house oh, or Graceland, whatever okay. in one of them. So he's got, like, the Graceland, like, the the big gates with the music notes on it. And that's what I remembered. I was like, yeah, I want to watch that one with the guy with the, with the gate, you know, yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Well, I good taste. That. Good taste. That, that, that's great. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, so, you know, my point in that was just to say, uh, you know, little mermaid, but also <clears throat> it, it, it's this kind of flash of normalcy, which uh, feels like almost something like a pillar or a bit of a foundation to stand on. Well, for me, while I tried to work out who the frick I was um, and why I shouldn't hate myself, even though I totally did, because I was sure everybody else did. And there was no way anybody liked me, particularly because my parents had abandoned me in this terrible, terrible thing. Um, but then there was Emma. And it's a little bit like, you might get emotional. Uh, fair warning, sister <laughs> and, um, and listeners. I'm already emotional, so. <laughs> this is why Wreck-It Ralph wrecks me because when ralph wreck it ralph is a brilliant movie number one it's a brilliant movie and it's totally disarming and so the first time i see ralph being dropped by you know alan tudyk voiced uh critter guy um and then just he's like i don't care i'm gonna die but if that little girl can love me i can't be that bad so like that that's how that that's like that voiced my growing up i have a little sister who worships the ground i walk on i cannot possibly be the toxic poisonous dark gross person that i think i might be because either because i don't think i'm fooling her i think I, she loves me um so yeah wreck it ralph wrecks me every time even to this day 47 year old man here remember um because you loved me and you would give me big hugs, and uh, you are over half the hugs I got before I turned um, 18. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway. Dare you. How you dare you? Make me cry on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> I know, right. And, and <clears throat> first I of all, how dare I? <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, very vividly, like, how just my, how I felt about you back then, like, because you were the freaking coolest person ever i mean you like went and played like sports with your friends and you wore these like bandanas and you were like very like 90s cool you know oh, and yeah. like two um, layer shirts right there t-shirt plus a button-up shirt that's not buttoned yeah with jeans and like you had the bandanas that you would wear on your head and you had your little boxing bag thing under the whatever where i'd make mud pies and and then like you were always like writing poetry and like submitting your stuff to poetry things and you were doing plays and stuff and that's like you're the reason that i got into like writing and performing is because I was like, well, he's doing it and he's the freaking coolest person. So I'm going to do it. Let's go. <laughs> I want to be awesome. cool. So like, I mean, and that's, and that's honestly been like a real huge, and it still is a real huge, like therapeutic thing for me was writing and um, 
performing and that's why I still do my like dumb TikToks is because I'm like well like I'm still getting catharsis out of it so I don't care (laughs) like I don't care how many people see it or like it or whatever like I had a great time doing it and it's just (laughs) a little form of like escape and stuff but yeah like you're the reason that I that I ever got into it in the first place so that that's nice to know we should have talked about this a long time ago freaking why (laughs) oh my gosh we're getting on in years and our joints hurt and we're getting this out figured out um, I'm gonna be 37 this year. It's so weird. You hush, you. Uh, I, <laughs> I turned 48 very shortly. Um, that, I'm 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 so glad to hear that, and thank you so much for that. It 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 means a lot even to this day. And um, I I want to point out something about you know self-expression on the TikToks. Um, and and uh, it's this. So I have learned. I've always not always, but for for some years I've known. That at my core, I am a creative being. And really, I think every person has a creative being in them. And they need to express their creativity in some productive way in order to really be harmonizing with themselves. To be have some peace that's really real in, in, in their heart and soul. Um, and for me, I've known for a long time that a big way that I'm creative is by teaching. But the bigger way that, I, that I, I'm creative is by writing. Um, creating stories, telling stories, telling narrative, all that stuff. And for about eight months, in fact, over the last eight months, minus this week, I haven't done much of that, um, really at all. Um, I, I just let other things get in the way. And I mean, a lot of them are legitimate. All of them are even legitimate, but a lot of them legitimately need to come first. But also over the last eight months, my mental health had been deteriorating significantly. Um, just hits kept coming and panic attacks. My first ever panic attacks happened um, a few months ago. And finally, I'm like, Jared, you need to write. Freaking do it. And so I finally sat down and did stuff this week. And it's like, oh, wow. It's like it's like a night and day difference. It's a 180 difference, I should say, where... I'm feeling bleh, and now I'm writing my memoir again. I'm feeling, let's go. Your acting that you do on the TikTok, you have a creative being. You are a creative being. It is, I mean, I'm glad there's still catharsis, but just the act of the creating of that, the effort and the you digging in to do some cool stuff, that's critical to you. It's a huge part of who you are, so we should never, ever apologize for it. I know you never would. Um, but I also hope you'll never diminish it because it's really important. No, I mean, you know, like I, I started, well, I mean, I, I downloaded TikTok like, um, in 2020, just like everyone else did, most everyone else did because we had F all to do. Um, pretty much, but yeah, but then I started finally like actually posting things and quote unquote creating on it um in 2021 because my whole family had gotten covid and i had almost lost my husband to it right and it put a lot of things in perspective and i and it i just kind of came away from it with the very much like a yellow or like a carpe diem thing because I was like I like life is too short to like 
not eat the cake or not make the thing or not, you know, do whatever makes you happy. And it doesn't. And I just realized like I needed to stop being scared of like what everyone might think Mm -hmm. about it. Um, And then just like do the freaking thing because it makes me happy and that's what's important. And I was still dealing with a lot of like PTSD and anxiety from the whole COVID thing. Yeah. That's bonkers Um, by the way. Bonkers. Oh man. Yeah. It was a, it was a time that's for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, you, my wife had cancer of her kidney and your husband got closer to the other side than she did because of COVID. Those are both crazy things. It's bonkers. (laughs) But yes, but, there's PTSD and we have to process it, but we just don't. We don't take the time to process it. So good job. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was like a month and a half of just working on like autopilot and like making sure my kid was fed and taken care of and making sure that my husband stayed alive. Yeah. Crisis um, mode. It, we we have it. We're able to click it on, but it, it is it, it, it is horrifying. And, and if we're in it for too long, it's not only horrifying, it's exhausting nigh unto death. Um, you feel like you're almost a walking dead, right? Yeah, I very much like, yeah. yeah. Like coming out of it was a real weird thing because you, like, I don't know about you, but I just kind of like pushed everything like I compartmentalized yes. into just like one little part and then focused on what needed to be done. But then once I, you know, was finally able to breathe, um, you know, all of a sudden, like all the stuff came back in and I was like, Oh, Oh my God, that's a lot to, all right, we're going to just sit and deal with this. For a little yeah. bit, but the dam broke, why, but then you had to rebuild it a little bit to be able to process it properly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I started making stuff is because I was like, well, that's always been like a great form of like self-expression for me because, you know, these like feelings that I would otherwise feel silly, like, you know, getting out, if I put them into a character or whatever, then like suddenly that's fine. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been very good. That's very interesting. I mean, character charactering or writing characters or drawing characters or acting characters i i write fiction you know but there are moments in my fiction that i get i i got emotional writing them and then i get emotional when i go back to read or when i did the audiobooks i'm like frick i gotta pause the, the recording so i can stop getting a little catchy in my throat um it's it's very it's a very special experience to be able to tap into something deep and true while acting or creating fiction. It's a, it's a wonderful miracle of life, I think. Um, I agree. I want to thank my sister, Emma, for joining me for episode 42. We actually recorded for a couple of hours, and so I've cut off uh, the first hour for our first episode back together. And next episode will be uh, us finishing our conversation and throwing some nice figurative punches. So uh, thanks for tuning in. My friends who are out there still listening to this long-running podcast, keep listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your families. Uh, make us famous, will you? Uh, and in the meantime, just um, you know, stay true to yourself and be the creative being that you were meant to be. Uh, see you in the next episode.